You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. This is a big episode for me that I've been working on for a long time. I am getting super personal with you and talking about the time that I was sexually assaulted back in 2015. It's a really interesting episode because I'm sharing the story of being assaulted, but it's a lot more than that. It's a story about friendship. It's a story about hope. And it's a story about showing up for each other better in our lives. When I started recording season two, I had this theme in my mind of showing up better for ourselves so that we can show up better for our community. And I think that this episode really encapsulates that idea. It's about going inward to yourself, but also going outward to your community. Two quick points. One, there's definitely a trigger warning on this episode. I do go into detail about being assaulted. So if that is intense for you, or if that's problematic for you, please know that. And I also want to make it really clear that this is not a topic that I coach on in my coaching business. It's just a story that I felt compelled to share. And so if you have been assaulted and if it's something that you're working through or want to work through with a professional, I'm not the right person for you. I can absolutely send you to a therapist if you do reach out to me for a referral, but I just want to make that very clear up front as well. In the first part of the episode, you're going to hear me get interviewed by my friend Stacy, who I actually lived with when I got assaulted. So she and I are super candid, super honest in this conversation. We talk about the details of getting assaulted, but we also talk a lot about the aftermath of that experience, both for me mentally, for her mentally, and then what it was like to watch other people react to me getting assaulted. So we talk about what people said, and we share some advice for what we think people could say differently in the future. A quick heads up that you're going to feel like you're coming in mid-conversation to the portion with Stacy, but I intentionally left it like that because I feel like it's the most raw, unfiltered version of me that you're going to get just processing live on the podcast. In the second part of the episode, you're going to hear me talk to my friend Kathleen. And I brought Kathleen on the podcast to dissect the first part of the podcast and to provide more of a social justice macro view, whereas the first part of the podcast is a lot more the personal intimate story. So I thought that that balance worked out really well in this episode. I'm so honored to have a chance to share it with you. And I'm so, so thankful to those two friends who have shed some really interesting light on this entire unfolding. My request to you is that you just watch what's happening in your mind as you listen to the episode. If you have any resistance or any pushback, please feel free to reach out to me. I would love to have an open dialogue. I hope that this episode at the least is very enlightening and at the most is maybe life-changing for you or for somebody in your community who would love your support. Thank you so much for listening. It doesn't feel right to say enjoy the episode, but I hope that it's really meaningful for you. Thank you. So switching gears now into one of the topics that I wanted to talk about with you specifically on the podcast because you were there is my sexual assault when I was in Guatemala. And so definitely moving into a bit more somber, heavier (laughs) topic here, Um, but something I feel 
moved to talk about publicly. Um, haven't really talked about it super publicly. Actually, I haven't talked about it publicly at all. So I'm trying to articulate my intention with talking about it here. And I think the biggest reason to talk about it is to help people understand how they can better support people in their lives who have been sexually assaulted. And if anyone out there is suffering from the effects of a sexual assault, to know that you have someone you can reach out to if it's something that's helpful to talk about. So what we're doing here is we're about to go into me getting sexually assaulted. And I actually feel pretty resolved and clear about that experience. But what's happening right now, like in this moment, is self-consciousness over talking about it. So that's all what's been happening under the surface. Like you know me really well and so we can talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. But that's what's happening. So so where do we go from here? I think what a lot of people don't realize is anytime that you release anything out into the world, particularly when it's creative, you – naturally feel you know there are a lot of feelings to do with vulnerability and um, anxiety and you are and especially in today's world you're opening yourself up to criticism and rejection and gossip and snark and all of those things you know we talked I think we talked a few days ago about how something that someone said 10 years ago when they were babies basically can now be you know brought to brought back to life and ruin their careers. So I totally get it, you know? Yeah, we were talking about that, that people are applying a 2019 lens of standard behavior, good behavior into things that have happened, like you said, 10 years ago. And all of a sudden doing, quote unquote, takedown culture, takedowns of people who were acting actually totally in line with what was appropriate back then. So you and I have actually spent a lot of time doing thought work around vulnerability and putting ourselves out there because you are doing that a lot in your career right now, more so than ever before, I think is accurate to say. Yeah. So I'm super tempted to go down that rabbit hole. Let's and I revisit that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that one for sure. But I want to stay on track with the sexual assault. But I do think it was just now it was just super important to just say that, that I want to be able to show up fully in this conversation and totally express my real sentiments without feeling like I'm scared of potential backlash. So I realize that that's a risk and I it's one I'm willing to take. Good on you. So let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Get in there. Yeah. Get all up in my psyche. <laughs> <laughs> As I like to do. Um, all right. Well, let's go. Let's start at the beginning then. Do you want to sort of lead us down that path? Yeah. Um, so we had, we had our house, our beautiful house we've talked about in Guatemala, and we hosted a joint birthday party for me and a housewarming. So my birthday gift was a sexual assault. <laughs> Not the best gift I've ever gotten. And um, we had gone out. So we had a house party. Then we went out to into town. And for anyone who's not familiar, Antigua was like nine by nine blocks. And so really small and pretty walkable. You'll hear a lot of different accounts from different people on the safety level. But uh, we went out to a bar Long story short, I looked around forever and couldn't find anyone, so I decided to take a taxi back. But I ended up walking a block to look for a taxi, walked another block, couldn't find one, and then decided I was about two and a half blocks from the house, so might as well just keep going. And I can hear the tension and anxiety in my yeah. voice, so I got to calm myself down. 
And um, so long story short, two men, so one put a knife to my neck and ripped my purse off. And in that moment, I just remember thinking, it's just a purse. It's just possessions. Let it go and stay the course and get home because at this point I was a half a block from home. And right immediately after that, within the same block, four different men pushed me down into the street, ripped off my underwear, and threatened to rape me. And by the grace of something, <laughs> angels, I'm not sure what, I had actually put my phone into my dress, like my dear friend Stacy taught me. And I had never done that before up until this night. And so I ended up in the 30 seconds or two minutes or however long that this happened, I ended up remembering that I had my phone reaching into my dress, pulling out the phone, and then offering that. I said in Spanish, I said, take my phone, take my phone. Um, I guess earlier I had said, what do you want? What do you want? And they said, just sex, just sex. And so I gave them my phone and they took my phone and ran off. And it's really interesting because one of my primary thoughts has always been, why didn't they rape me and then take my phone? And it's super interesting because when I've said that to certain people, they say, that's horrible. Don't think like that. And I find that a really, really unhelpful response because I say, I don't want to think like that. I'm not thinking like that intentionally. That's not for fun. That's right. where my mind goes. And that's where my logic goes. So let me process that. Right. And I think that's pretty normal. You know, people always wonder, you know, what could I have done differently? What could have happened differently? What could have they done differently? You know, something like that, your mind is going to go over and over and over again, right? Absolutely. And I actually started walking home probably 10, 15 minutes after you did. I had a couple of our guy friends with me and I'd done the whole don't need to don't need you guys to walk me home thing. I'm a big girl. Right, right. Yeah. Arrived home and you had kicked down our door. <laughs> Lara Croft Tomb Raider style. That's right. right. <laughs> like and it, this is a big door with barbed wire on, on the top and you know this is the outside sort of gate door, but it's big. And I guess because they'd taken your keys. And it was just shell shocking. I mean, it was pure adrenaline, right? I mean, the fact that I could kick the door down, not a very stable door, apparently, also because I'm not <laughs> right. that strong. But I also am like, you know, they say moms can lift a car off their right. child if need right. be. So I'm like, there's got to be some amount of adrenaline that kicked in at that point to help me knock a door down. <laughs> right. But to hear that you'd basically been attacked not once but twice within a minute of each other, that to me the I just cannot imagine a world in which a group of men watch a woman be robbed at knife point and see that as like an excellent target you know so for me the aftermath and I'm sure obviously for you was more interesting than it should have been would you like to talk about that yeah you were there for it so I guess it's it's really important for me to also say that in my mind, we were such close friends for like probably years at this point. And then we one time looked back and we're like, oh, yeah, we were friends for like a few months at this point. <laughs> yeah. And yet I credit you with being my saving grace Aww. during this time. I may start crying. Um, but I mean, it was like in the most authentic, real way, someone had programmed you to say all the right things at all the right time. 
Like, which is so funny because I'm known as being the biggest like foot in mouth, like <laughs> loud mouth person. <laughs> I just there's oh boy, there's just something to me that speaks to like you're gonna get me going. <laughs> just like the way that we met under such funny, interesting circumstances, and the way that we bonded, and the way that like you knew when to be serious and when to hold me, and you knew. and you knew when to make a joke and we made so many jokes it was insane i mean so many jokes that i could never repeat here because i think very bad taste bad taste (laughs) but i had to have that right it was like i needed so badly to be able to make a horrible joke right just black dark humor yeah um in order to make in order to see some light in the situation yeah and so that was just like a strangely you know it's interesting to me i've never made this connection before but when my dad died and my siblings and i went down to to costa rica to deal with all of the aftermath it was like a very strangely special time like that's mm. the only way i have to describe it that it was like this horrible traumatic thing and yet there was so much beauty in that moment and that's kind of how i think about this experience it was like this horrible thing had happened that i never in a million years expected and yet there was this really, really beautiful unfolding as part of that. And I think it absolutely strengthened our friendship. I mean, oh, 100%. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, being able to see life that way, I think, is very, you know, admirable. Um, I guess I kind of felt like it was my only option. Yeah. Right? And it's not – I think it's really important for me to distinguish that it wasn't about putting on a happy face. And no. it wasn't about thinking positive at all. No. Like that was never in my mind. But it was about – how do I how do I process this fully while also seeing that there's simultaneously a lot of beauty in life? Right. And it's not like this happened overnight. I don't I think we we didn't leave the house for probably a solid week after. Like we I don't think we left at night for six weeks after, right? Like and it gets dark at six thirty in Guatemala. So this is not like you just woke up the next day and you were like, you know what, I'm gonna be positive. No. Um but choosing to see any slice of good you know yeah and I mean I think that's a really hard thing for me to articulate and I actually it's interesting I say this to my clients all the time is I say this is not coaching is not about thinking positive it's about understanding your brain and feeling your pain and feeling your emotions and I think I was really able to in that house in that week and in all of the time afterwards just really be able to sit with those feelings so deeply and everything that they brought up and what a huge thing that they brought up for me, huge, which I never would have expected also, was how inconsiderate I had been to people who'd experienced sexual assault. Yeah. And I had no intention of being that person ever. Yeah. But I didn't understand it. And it was, I mean, it wasn't me. It was not me and it wasn't my friends and it wasn't my Mm. family. It was never going to be us. And it was so distant from me that it was like the universe kind of gave me this experience and was like, hey, you think you're, you think that you aren't subject to this, but guess what? Yeah. You're wrong. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you think you're smart. And guess what? Things still happen. That's right. And yeah, you know. Before this, you had lived in Guatemala. You know, at this stage, I think you'd lived there about six months. Not once had you ever walked home alone um, past 8.30, no? Yeah. Um, so this is not like, you know, you were r- running around drunk and stumbling home and 
you know, being in any way irresponsible. Not that that would have right, any, right, right, right. Any, yeah. you know. Right. But I think it's also good to clarify that sometimes shitty things just happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I think, gosh, so, I mean, just so many interesting conversations and honestly so many painful conversations after that experience because of the way that certain people reacted. And the people that I was most surprised by, I wasn't surprised by, you know, it's interesting. We got – we I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. We had this favorite ice cream place. And we had our guy friends in Guatemala. They delivered us ice cream to our house when we wouldn't leave the house. And That's it's like the right. best ice cream ever. And so we had ice cream delivery. And I would have expected that a Guatemalan man's reaction would be the worst. Right. And I would have expected the absolute best, most supportive would have come from Western women. Yeah. And yet it was the opposite. Right. I was shocked by the response of Western women. Yeah. And – just, I mean, to all different degrees, but I heard just so many things that in full transparency, I'm sure I've thought before or would have thought if it weren't me. And so this really just took, this made me really look at things very differently. And it made me think, so I wrote two, I wrote two posts after this. I never published them actually. It's the first time I've talked about this publicly. I wrote one basically letter, which is the slippery slope of victim blaming. And I wrote another, which is what to say and what not to say to those who have experienced sexual assault. And this experience was so clarifying for me on both of those things. Yeah. I mean, I think to some extent we almost expected the police to be like, what were you wearing? You know, like we expected that shit, right? Yeah. But in no way did we expect the you should have known better kind of reaction from friends and um, and expats and – yeah. fellow women. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, though, this is what I always say. This was kind of my one-sentence summary of this entire experience, which is a lot of people would say to me, well, whatever you just said, right? Like, you should, you should have known better. You should have done it differently, whatever, whatever. And then I would have on the other side, on the opposite end of the spectrum, people would say, like, you should be able to walk naked down the street at 2 a.m., And what I always say to both of those parties is I want to fight for the world I want to live in and act for the world I do live in. Yeah. And so to me, I go, that means taking an Uber or taking a taxi, which we ended up doing every single time we would go home past, what, 8 p.m. Yeah. We would do it differently. And it's not to say we should have to. Right. We shouldn't have to. No. I agree that we should be able to walk naked down the street at 3 a.m., but we can't. Yeah. And, yeah, I just <laughs> I got to take a deep breath, but I'm just curious your reaction to that, and I'd be curious for anyone listening what that stimulates in you is that feeling of what we want versus what we have. I think for me, um, I was furious. Every time we would have to negotiate, this was before the time of Uber in Antigua, you know, we would have to negotiate with taxi drivers who knew full well that, you know, if we wanted to get home safely, which we did, they could just take us for a ride. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and put your toe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I would just get so obscenely, like, just freaking furious about it. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, so many reasons, right? Like, it's not it's not enough that women aren't safe to to walk at night here, but 
people are making more than a buck off it, right? Um, but it, for me, it's a lot easier to forgive things in different cultures when, but it, it was the response from everyone else that I, I found very difficult to deal with. Yeah, and I think that this is this is another way that you and I differ in our reactions to things where I would say we're not and, – and I don't necessarily like this reaction to me, but I would say we're not going to change the entire taxi system. Right, in right. Let's pay the, the 20 extra cents or right. $2 and, you or you know, that was whatever. it. It was the principle for me. Right. Like we yes. could always bloody pay it, right? Right. But it was the fact that people were, you know, like it's – yeah. It was just the principal. Right. And I just, and I go. <laughs> Which is like, th- what, 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m.? Yeah. And there I am getting all pissy about it. Like, what? what's that going to help? <laughs> right. But I do, but I mean, back to that same point is it's something that you're willing to take a stand on, whereas most of the time I'm going to just back down. And I don't necessarily think that backing down is always the right thing. Yeah. So, um yeah, actually, I want to talk to the mayor after that. I forgot about that until just oh, now. Yeah. Though I went to talk to the mayor and had just a very open, candid conversation about what happened and my totally unsolicited opinion about why it happened, which mm-hmm. is that a lot of the police were centered in one area, throwing tear gas after after the nightclubs closed, um, instead of being distributed around town. But right. It is also worth mentioning, you know, we had an amazing um, cop. Um, his yes. name was Angel. Angel. And <laughs> he, he was an angel. He was, you know, he um, he was just amazing. So there was that as well. You know, he really, he visited, he followed followed things up, you know, he was looking into it as much as he could. Um, yeah, so. Wait, this is the, the most embarrassing story that happened <laughs> I didn't after know if this. you were going to mention yeah. this. So... <laughs> I had had my phone stolen, obviously, and so, or I guess I'd given it away, if you want to uh, use that know, term. I don't know if that, <laughs> <if> that counts. <laughs> given it away, uh, not so not so generously, no. <laughs> um, didn't have my phone, so we had, I had gotten a new phone, and so we had set up, I had set up GPS, and so this was like old school on an Android, and one day, I was tracking my phone to see if it popped up anywhere in town, and I realized that it was on the same around the corner from where we lived. Long story short, freak out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, my attackers literally live on this street or around the corner. You know, pull on, freak out. Call Angel. We call our Angel. (laughs) He comes to the house. So sweet. He's so supportive. Oh, no, wait. Let's also mention that he, I think he'd been on night shift the night before. So the poor guy got out of bed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Poor thing. We should write to him. And he, um, he is like, is it the phone that's sitting right there on your on your table? So long story short, <laughs> I had mistaken the GPS for my new phone, oh. and it was my phone that was picking up the tracker. But I had just like flipped out, and so it was. I mean, he was I, so good about it. He was so good, and I just it was those kinds of reactions that were just. I just had these visceral fear, right. anxiety, totally normal. I right, think, right, right? Yeah. and 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 I'll credit you a lot for just being able to bear with me in those moments. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, I did make fun of you because that's what friends do. <laughs> right, yeah. But that's the thing is having a friend that can make fun of you when you're – it sounds so weird and I think not yeah, everyone not understands. Everyone but, yeah. yeah, having a friend that can kind of mock you and joke yeah. when you are at your absolute worst yeah. is a really powerful thing. Yeah. So so you mentioned that 
some of the things to say and some of the things not to say. Would you like to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm so fascinated by grief as a topic. I'm so fascinated by grief, not only as a person grieving, but as people who can support other people in grief. And one of the best, most powerful resources that I've ever read on this is Parker Palmer in his book, Let Your Life Speak. He talks a lot about how to really be with someone in grief and to not fix it and to not change it. Actually, I'm also reading Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle, and she talks about that too. She's like, we don't need fixers. We don't need solvers. We don't need... Because you want to... You want to help, right? It's your instinct. Right. People so desperately want to help that they put their their need to help in front of your need to be healed. Right. And the last thing someone dealing with grief wants to hear or think about is how to make you feel like wanted or needed or, or anything, right? Yeah. Right, 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 right. It's like I want to focus on my pain, not think about how to help you as a person say the right thing to me. <laughs> right, right. Um, but it's also it also ties back to my podcast episode with my sister. We talk about how to how to respond to someone with infertility. Right. And my sister said the most powerful thing that anyone could say to her was just, How are you doing? Yeah. How can I support you? Yeah. And so I would just like to first say, so I did, I I wrote this list, I think from kind of snarky place, but I think <laughs> I look at it now from just a really peaceful place. Yeah. And it's just my opinion, right? I think it's really important to really be there with the people. If you really do want to support them in grief, be there. Ask what they need. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. And it's also incredibly powerful to say, I don't know what to say. If you don't know what to say, don't spin out trying to think of the right words. Just say, I don't know what to say. So yeah, should I give some examples? Yeah, do it. So I basically divided this into worst thing you can say, and then here's a better version, and here's the best version. (laughs) Um, Some of them don't have that middle. But one of the worst things you can say, I understand exactly how you're feeling because I was robbed slash catcalled slash et cetera. And my response to that is I'm not diminishing your situation and your experience, but sexual assault is very different than other forms of assault Um, and, and not that it's worse or it's just different. And I think the other point there is this is not the time to bring in your things that have happened. Like, let me be in my recent pain and we can later talk about your past pain in a time that I'm not grieving right. so much. Yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. And I said the better version of that is, wow, I can't even begin to understand how you're feeling. Yeah. Because people, you know, I think sometimes that comes out of a good place. Yeah, People absolutely. want, as humans, we want to show understanding. Right. And relatability. Right. But I'm sorry, it's it's not a competition, you right. know, like let's right. just let people feel. <laughs> yeah. And and in the same way that if someone told me they were raped, for example, I would never say I know how you feel because I absolutely don't. Right. And it, so to me, it's, it's again, it's tears and it's tears of severity. And that's, again, not as a comparison mechanism, but it is that there's these different levels. Yeah, for sure. So... Another thing that people absolutely said with good intention was everything's okay now. So I said my response was basically um, just because it's technically in the past doesn't mean I'm not haunted by the voices and the images and the what ifs and the shame that these situations happen at all is by definition not okay. Yeah. And I said a better version is, is everything okay now? But the best version is I am so sorry and I'm here to support you. Yeah. Um. Worst thing, again, I think always with good intention, I really just kind of want to reiterate that, is that good intentions, I totally see them being there, but 
that sometimes they're not helpful is you should be grateful that nothing worse happened. Mm. That was a huge one. And, you know, I think to some extent you already are, you know, like that's running through your mind constantly, the what if, right? But, yeah, I mean, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my my like explanation of that one was I think it's safe to say that no that phrase is beginning with you should should be eliminated for true, the time being. True. Um let me feel that gratitude in my own time without making me feel guilty for having anger or guilt or shame be my primary emotions right now. Yeah. And I said the best version of this is I am so grateful that nothing worse happened, but I am so upset that this happened at all. Yeah. Worst is next time you should <laughs> dot 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 fill in the blank with everyone's advice about what yeah. you should have done differently. Yeah. And I said, first of all, let's hope there's not a next time. <laughs> and then I said, you know, assume I did the best in a bad situation and assume that I've thought through every single thing I could have done differently at least 500 times. Right. Definitely get a lot of clarity after you're assaulted. So I'm like, yeah, I had some quality time with my thoughts about what I could have done differently. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a place I need your feedback, but thank you. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I said the best version is I'm here if you want to brainstorm strategies for making you feel more comfortable and safe. Yeah. I think that could be condescending if it was set from a condescending place, but I think that could be also really beautifully supportive. Right. Yeah. Uh, Oh, this is one of my favorites. You probably shouldn't talk about it. (sighs) I said, it's embarrassing to feel comfortable enough to open up and then be shut down. Yeah. Also, there's a reason that the term talk therapy exists. (laughs) Yeah. And if you are talking about it, generally, like, it's going to be because you feel comfortable talking about it to that person. So for them to shut you down that way, it's almost like it's it's worse because it's not like you would talk about it randomly to a stranger on the street, right? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and I said the best version you could say to this is, it's great that you're talking about it as you feel comfortable, but remember you don't have any obligation to talk about it if you don't want to. Yeah. And also, fuck that. Like, you should be able to talk about it to anyone. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. I say that. Like, if you wanted to talk about it to a stranger on the street. Right. right? Now, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Why it should never be seen as something shameful or that victim blamey yeah. shit. Well, I did end up saying it to to a lot of people that – I wasn't super close to because, one, I would say it to women. I was like, yeah. heads up that people might say this is a completely safe town and it feels like fairy tale Disney World <laughs> land, but shit happens. Yeah. Reminder that we have an explicit label here. <laughs> For now, three curse words later. <laughs> and the other thing was um, I would say it also – I would say it to Guatemalan – to Guatemalans to say this could have happened anywhere – Statistically, yeah. it is more likely. Like, to ignore those statistics is pretty naive in my opinion. For sure. But I also think it's important to say, hey, this is happening in your country. And that's mm-hmm. not a means of blame, but that's a means of, hey, there's accountability to be had here. Particularly because, you know, these a lot of these people in these crimes are targeted towards tourists because they're carrying around more money. They can be unaware of the dangers and you know many other reasons and so often the average Guatemalan won't know yeah. or wherever else the the country is right um but that that one pissed me off the idea that I could be you know at home in good old Christchurch New Zealand and be attacked on the street twice within what 30 seconds or whatever sure but let's not pretend like it's the same chance, even remotely. 
Right. But I think the risk of this is then the opposite side is like, well, you shouldn't have been in that country. Like, you knew the risk. And so it's so then it's like, I think there's a spectrum of this. And I think there's an answer in between where it's yeah. like you you acknowledge the statistical risk and you acknowledge that this is a more risky place. And at the same time, you say. And this should never happen. Like, yeah. Let's work for a world where this doesn't happen because I don't want my daughters to go through this. I don't want my wife's to my my wife's <laughs> <laughs> multiple wives. Really. I know. But also, and I don't want random strangers that I've never met before to go through this. Right. right? I don't want any human to go through yeah. this experience. So yeah, um, interesting little spectrum there, though. Yeah. And then this could go in many different with many different endings, but. Well, if you weren't blah, 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 or well, if you hadn't blah, blah, blah. I changed my mind. That was my worst. That was, <laughs> that was the one I hated the most. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a lot of variations of that. Um, yeah. My Somebody said to me, you looked really good that night. Oof. I think that was the the most insulted I've ever been about a compliment about yeah, looking good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it's – that's an interesting discussion as well because I know women who have been assaulted in sweatpants. So there you go. Right, right. Um, so I said my response to that, like a more effective, or I guess the reason why that's so harmful is I said my stark answer, um, thanks that I looked good. Thanks. <laughs> um, you're basically excusing sexual assault by making them out to be poor, helpless man who can't resist a bit of skin and feel the need to be physic to oh. physically overpower women in order to assort their control and satisfy their lust. Poor things. <laughs> right. Um, so let's not let's not do that. And I have, as you very well know, I have no interest in man-hating and blaming no. everything on the male gender by any means. Um, and so I think this is a perfect time to just put accountability yeah. where it belongs. 100%. And I said the best thing you could say is nothing about appearance. <laughs> Far out. Or even, you Far know, out. not even the appearance. Any actions you took, any whatever, like – so unhelpful so unnecessary it, to even think them i think is shitty but to voice them yeah is worse well and here's the thing i actually don't judge someone who thinks them because like i said i've thought things i'm not that i would never feel proud of i, should, I would never felt proud of them and i especially would not feel proud of them now but here's the thing is if you know somebody who's been sexually assaulted or you have the opportunity to talk to someone, maybe preferably someone who's been through a lot of healing and can talk about this openly and candidly, so call me, um, <laughs> is if you have these thoughts and you think these things, I don't actually think that's wrong. I think that's a really normal reaction to the society that we live in if you haven't had experience with this. And my point is always – Let's not wait until your best friend or yeah. your sister or your child has gone through this for you to build a little bit of empathy. I hate, and it took me until – sorry. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. I hate the idea of, you know, it could be your sister. It could be your – you know, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't – it shouldn't have to get to a point where it's some woman in your life um, to be affected, right? But yet but yet, I understand when that's what it takes. Right, I right. Do. Yeah, I do. no. And I I'm mean, like – Let's hope that let's hope against all hope and pray to any God you believe in that that's not going to happen. So use any story. I guess my point is use any story that you hear, like this podcast episode, to try to understand things differently. Yeah. So that you don't have to wait. Yeah. For the sake of everyone. Yeah. This is my last one. The worst thing you can say is that one never happened to me. 
<laughs> and I said the best version of that is, wow, that really shows that sexual assault can happen to anyone. Yeah. You know, I think it's that thing again that that I can almost believe, like that I can, th- you, you can think that. I think it all the time, right? That's as human beings, particularly when we're younger and our brains are still, um, you know, doing what brains do, growing and learning and changing. We have this different risk tolerances, different ideas of, um, you know, we feel like we're superhumans. Invincible, yeah. Right. And um, with you, you've just got to remember it can. It can happen to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no part of me. Of course not. Thought my my life, my entire life. No. Yeah. So those are that's what I have in terms of what is not helpful and what is helpful. And then I guess I just will revisit super quickly some of the other big takeaways that I had. Yeah. So in that other letter that I wrote, I addressed a lot of what I've already talked about, but I talked about how we're on a really slippery slope of victim blaming. And so my point was if you say – you know, you shouldn't have walked alone at that hour. I say, well, what's the cutoff? Right. So if you say 9.30 was too late, I say, so what about 9.29? That's okay. And so that line and then geographically the lines as well where you say you were too far in the outskirts of town. And I say, so one block over would have been okay. And then you would have excused me. But because it was one additional block, I'm now to blame. Right. And my point there is just that it's a slippery slope. And so if you feel a temptation to victim blame, I think just taking a second to pause and think about what the other conditions could have been. Yeah. So when would it be okay? Like what's your what's your line then? Right. Like when it would be okay for you to to blame versus right. release responsibility. Right. Yeah. And then I basically just make the point that you can ask women to make better decisions, um, adapt to the way that things are, not the way that they should be, and do things, like I said, little things that make you safer. And at the same time, one friend, I don't remember who it was, said, that's putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. Mm -hmm. So I said, I have no idea what the answer is, but I do know that with awareness and removing the stigma around a sexual assault, we can really start to make change. So I basically just finish off by saying – that I just ask you to reflect on this and reflect on some of the points that we've talked about. And even if you don't agree wholeheartedly with everything I've said, which I totally understand, is if you can just find a tiny little seed of change and a tiny little wiggle room on what we've talked about, that would make me really happy. And that sadly, you probably know someone else has been assaulted. And so... And you may not know that they've been assaulted. So anytime you are throwing around those kind of ideas they can do damage too you know Mm -hmm. yeah and then I guess there's this question which is if your first instinct is to judge I beg you to ask yourself this question can I say with a hundred percent honesty that I have never not even once put myself in a situation that could have ended badly my guess is that you cannot say that yeah for sure and so my hope is to just open a dialogue with people to talk about this kind of thing more open more candidly I think since this has happened it's interesting, actually, between now and when this happened, the entire Me Too movement has happened. Right. Um, and so I think there's already a ton of conversation and change happening. But I just want to add my voice to that conversation as well. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> 
Thank you so much for giving me the space to be able to continue to process this years later and to really just be able to hopefully articulate well the experience for me and the aftermath. And again, the intention is providing some advice. I don't know if advice is the right word, but some hopefully some wisdom on how to support people who've gone through trauma, how to bear with them in that experience and let them process fully on their own with your support. And also just to put maybe a face, I guess I'll add this in, put a face to the whole experience, right? Is, mm. hi, it's me. I'm right, Christina not, and I've been assaulted. Right. It's not just a, although like a sexual assault victim, right? Right, 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 right. It's not just a statistic. So mm. just adding that in. But I just want to say thank you so much to you for for guiding this conversation, joining me, and for being there for that entire experience and and everything since. No worries. Thank you for having me and thank you for being so open and handling it all with such grace. Fucking trying. (laughs) Explosive warning. (laughs) You gonna start crying again? Yeah. Oh yes. Okay, well with that, thank you so so much. And we are just gonna both sit in a corner and cry. Thank you guys so much for listening. In the next section of the podcast, I'm talking with my friend Kathleen, and she gives a bunch of really amazing resources for sexual assault survivors and for sexual assault advocacy. But I wanted to share one more resource in the meantime. RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, has a 24-7 hotline called the National Sexual Assault Hotline, and it's available to you at 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673. If you or someone you know is experiencing sexual assault or has experienced sexual assault in the past, then please give that hotline a ring if you need someone to talk to. I also want to offer up that even if you are not a sexual assault survivor, they have really great advocacy resources and they're doing a lot of really great work in the world. A not-so-fun fact is that every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. So I would love to see what we as a community can do to drive down that number. Now I want to kick it over to part two of the podcast where I talk to Kathleen about the experience of recording part one and about what we can do to continue to show up for those in our community who have been sexually assaulted. Thank you for continuing to listen, and I hope that you find part two valuable as well. Welcome to the podcast, Kathleen. Oh my gosh. Thanks, Christina. <laughs> Rumor has <laughs> your first podcast you've ever recorded. Welcome to the podcasting life. It is. I'm excited. So I brought you on here for a very specific reason. You and I have so many amazing side conversations one-on-one, and I thought that you would be able to shed really interesting light on a huge topic that I am releasing on the podcast. So um, as you know, and as anyone listening will now know, because they would have gotten through the other part of the episode by now, I recorded an episode about being sexually assaulted in Guatemala. And you and I just have had so many intriguing conversations about what that looks like in terms of our inner voices, what it looks like in terms of politics, the macro view of international travel, just so many different topics all put together. But you're the only one so far who has actually heard the episode. I'm so curious your initial take on it. 
Yes. Um, well, I think just first of all, for real, I'm 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 really honored that in general that you trust me with this experience and talking about this experience. I think that that's true for anyone who um, who you know you or anyone else confides in about being sexually assaulted. That's it's 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 personal, and even no matter what stage of of healing someone's on, I think that. Um, there's just an enormous amount of, of trust that goes into that. So thank you. <laughs> I'm really very honored. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it speaks volumes to the way that you are a support system for me and the way that you can both hear what I'm saying and hold space for it at the same time that sometimes you gently push back and you give me a different perspective, but you do it so non-judgmentally. So I really, really, really appreciate that in you. Thank you. And I honestly feel the exact same way about about you. So my first reaction to listening to the podcast episode with you and Stacey um, was really, and I know that we're going to talk about this term <laughs> as we get into it. Um, so I don't want to like use the word brave too, <laughs> um, too early, but I really think that it's incredibly, incredibly brave to not just talk about that experience, but I think more so to claim your own experience in your own language. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, when, when I think, when I think about experiences like this and talking to others on like a personal level, I think that there's a lot of fear that if someone talks about their own assault experience, that they're worried, of course, that someone might not, that people might not believe them, that people might judge them or question them, um, and that they might not want to speak about it until it's exactly kind of the clear and that the language is, is perfect and, and that they kind of are able to package it in a way that doesn't as much allow for any judgment that might come. But I really thought that listening to you talk about it, it was a really beautiful way to kind of open up the the process of processing, I guess, um, where things aren't wrapped up in, you know, a nice little bow, but are out there and that you're talking about the conversations that you had and the jokes that you made and how you got through it in a really honest way. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And I think that you raise a super interesting point about not having it perfectly packaged. And I've already experienced that listening back to that first part of the podcast episode. I pulled out some things that I said, and I'm like, you know, would I do I want to say this? Is this really how I think about it? Or was this kind of a heat of the moment phrase? Actually, one of the phrases that I've debated cutting from the episode, but I've decided not to cut because I think it's important to now this conversation is this idea of tiers of severity, that different mm. levels of sexual assault are different tiers. And so people are, I guess, entitled to react based on how assaulted they were. And now when I step back from it, I'm like, yeah, but one person's cat call could be as traumatizing as another person's rape. And I know that's a bold claim, but I think that the point is everybody responds so differently. And so it's not just a clear cut well, you got this assaulted, so now you get to have this level of reaction. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, and I, I think that that's such a good point that at the end of the day, I think 
and that's, it's a really interesting expression that you're saying tears of severity. Um, because, and there's, you know, there's another expression that people use that's, you know, good or good or bad about like, um, about like trauma Olympics. I think it's kind of a, I think, I think it's a a bit of a, a bullshit expression, but it kind of fits into that, that it's trying to pit different traumas against each other when at the end of the day, nothing that's happened to anyone else invalidates how you feel or how you felt or what you've experienced. Everyone's trauma is unique, whatever it looks like. And those are really kind of false comparisons that don't, that in my mind just lead to more self judgment, more personal suffering, more suffering of others. I think that just acknowledging that it's apples and oranges, like it, mm-hmm. experiences are different. Um, the systems that are, we're a part of that have contributed to those lived experiences are also different. So even just talking about it as like in the language of um, like a cat call versus someone's assault versus rape um, doesn't really encapsulate like what, what people go through. So I think that that's a really interesting, Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting um, point of feedback from what you use, the language you used. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think if I were to to self-rate <laughs> my own performance during the podcast, that's the, that's one of the areas I for sure would call myself out on. Um, and, you know, jokes aside, I do think that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because, like I said, you call me out sometimes, but very non-judgmentally. And I think that this is almost a self-preservation tactic. I'm so excited to see where this conversation goes. (laughs) And there's something to be said for being called out by somebody that you know isn't judging you versus me releasing just the first part of the episode and letting it have a life of its own. It's like, this is almost my way of helping me digest more fully and helping me know that I've done everything in my power to really make sure that this is as clear and compassionate a message as I can put out in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I really do think that that's, I think that just that right there, um, wanting, you know, knowing that you're sending this out and and sending the conversation about your own experience out to people who many of whom may have experienced sexual assault or sexual violence of some sort with compassion and knowing that it's a process for all of us in understanding those things. And also, this is something that I've listening to your podcast, and I think about a lot with sexual assault and healing and any kind of trauma with healing is that the process is very nonlinear. It's like a nonlinear mm-hmm. process of healing um, and a nonlinear process to really understanding how, how you see that experience. So you're my inner voice buddy. And so you'll appreciate this on a, on a very deep level. But one thing that I always hear from my intuition with anything that I have stress or, or grief over is it's not linear. So yes. absolutely. I think that's so important to keep in mind. I love that. I feel like I hear the word nonlinear when I do inner voice dialoguing as well, quite a lot. <laughs> There you go. It's a good message for us is anyone who's experiencing something that they feel like they should be on the up and up, but it's bumpier than that is keep that in mind. It's not always linear. It's usually not linear. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I want to transition into this idea of bravery. So you've already alluded to it, but one of the reasons that this podcast episode came about is because you called me brave and I don't reject that title. I think it was so encouraging when you listen to the podcast episode. It's so encouraging to hear that. And at the same time, part of the reason why I'm resistant to it is because I feel like it has an underlying message that those who don't share their story aren't brave. What do you have to say about that? Yes, I I just exactly what you said. I think that's something that is really important to think about and really important to unpack when we're using the word brave as well as when we if you know in a situation like you when you're talking publicly about such an intense and personal experience when we're kind of receiving that. And yeah, I think we've talked about this a little bit that in some ways using the language of being brave to speak about a sexual assault experience almost creates a hierarchy and is, you know, that it's it's brave to speak out and it's somehow, you know, I of course don't believe this, but it's somehow not brave or cowardly to to stay silent. And that's something that I think we see a lot in even media and public conversations about sexual assault and rape. There's there's just this kind of, I mean, in, in a lot of the really kind of disgusting rhetoric that we see about people who speak out about assaults years after the fact, um, there's always someone who's saying, well, why didn't they say, why didn't they speak out about this when it happened? Yeah. They owe it to themselves. They owe it to others. That's like, you know, this creates doubt. And well, I think at the end of the day, there's no one way that anyone handles the aftermath of being assaulted. And there's no one way that the world reacts to someone who has been assaulted. And and this is something even in... um I used to, I think we've, we've talked about this before, but I used to volunteer for the DC Rape Crisis Center. And I remember we talked quite a lot about the very, the very, very differing reactions that someone will have physically in being assaulted. It's just so different. And the ways that people process trauma is just so different. There's no hierarchy to healing. Um, for some people, I think that speaking about their experiences in a very open way and claiming that experience can be an amazing and empowering part of a healing process. And for other people, it would be extremely, extremely detrimental. And, you know, there's really just this really at the end of the day, I think that any way that you cope with this is brave and is is self-preservation. Have you heard of the podcast Believed? I think I've heard of it, but I've never listened to it. I think it's from maybe about a year ago, um, but it's about the um, the Larry Nasser case. It's about Larry Nasser, who, as we now know, um, assaulted hundreds of um, gymnasts, mostly child gymnasts, and it's an incredibly, incredibly powerful podcast. Um, by a few women reporters, um, Michigan-based reporters, and they talk to survivors of those assaults. They talk to um, people who were present at 
um, the the times that those assaults were first being really brought to light and the cover-ups around that. And one thing that as I was listening, I was really struck by, just to circle back to our conversation about bravery, is that I completely get and agree with the idea that if we talk about people who speak publicly about their assaults as um, brave in contrast to those who are not publicly speaking of their assaults, they we can create kind of a hierarchy. But one thing that I was almost most struck by when listening to that co- podcast is that um, initially when the case against Larry Nasser was started, there were supposed to be, I think, under 100 people testifying, which is still an enormous, horrifying number. But after the first victim impact statement, the first victim impact statement was so powerful and was so raw and real and connected with so many people that the next day, over 200 people were inspired to speak. And so that was just a really kind of tangible example of, I think, of what the power of speaking publicly about an experience can do. It really... um it really can empower and touch other people in their own journeys towards healing and their own journeys towards justice. So at the same time, while I think that there shouldn't be the dichotomy of if you speak publicly, you're brave, or even if you speak to close friends, you're brave, versus if you don't speak out, you're not, that's that's a completely, completely false dichotomy. But at the same time, I don't want to discount the incredible power that there is in speaking out publicly about it. Actually, I think that that's a super good segue into one of the things that I wanted to talk about, which was in the time between recording the first segment and this conversation, I've had a lot of kind of sub side conversations with other people. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that came up, so I was doing, I was exchanging audio messages with a friend and I said, my worst case scenario is somebody saying that I'm doing this podcast for attention. And she just responded back and she said, you are doing this for attention. And it was so clarifying in that moment because what she meant was, yeah, of course you're doing it to get attention for sexual assault. And I was like, oh yeah, what if I just fully owned that this is about getting attention? It's not getting your personal attention and pity. It's really not about pity. It's about let's enhance, let's take these stories out of the dark and bring them into the light so that we can have honest conversations about it. But I loved that idea of being able to own my worst case scenario, my worst case reaction. Yes, that sounds, that's so powerful. Um, And I think that people can really take that for, for opening up about really any trauma is, is kind of, is, is being aware even just of what they think the, what they think the potential, um, impacts could be that's i mean like that's a really powerful thing to to say and and one other just kind of comment on that is that i think that that's totally right that it's like the why of like the why is to to raise attention for this issue but just kind of on that um this is something that that i think about a lot in media coverage because we see so many, especially since the Me Too movement started, we see so many stories of like public facing women, like like figures in in the media and celebrities um, and political figures speaking out openly about their experiences. But also, I 
do think like at the end of the day, we know that sexual assault and um, and gender-based violence is an epidemic. Like we know that that's an epidemic in our country. We know the statistics about at least, I think it's, it's either one in three or one in four women experiencing sexual assault in their lifetime. And that doesn't even get into like the dichotomies of the, the intersections of women and and race, like women of color, different sexualities, different gender expressions, um, trans and non-binary people, all of that. But I also think that the reason so many people are speaking about their experiences is because the burden is still on survivors to draw attention to this issue. Um, so I also just wanted to note that, that this is something that like, this is something that people's reactions and, and people who um, who are allies in this that can can do a lot and can really kind of change that dynamic where it's not just survivors speaking about this experience to draw attention to what we all know is systemic. I'm curious what you would have the average person then do with that information. What would you say to somebody who has not been sexually assaulted, how they can be an ally in that? That's such a good question. Um, I would say the first thing that everyone can do is to really kind of like, I guess, educate themselves on the kind of um, base level, like what to say to survivors and like how to interact with survivors. So for example, I believe you. It took a lot of courage to tell me about this. Um, it's not your fault. You're not alone. Things like that. And um, and I know that you you and Stacy kind of discussed this in the first part of the podcast. And the many things not to say, just to to be an ally to people in um, in your daily life. I think also um, not letting the conversation kind of fall to the wayside. And being aware of just, I mean, being aware of the reality and making sure that this is um, this is central in also the systems that we're a part of and the systems that we create. So in the workplace, in our social circles, um, being like a conscious and present and um, active ally. And then just on kind of like, a, you know, this is... I guess like a small action that we all can take. And I would say especially um, allies to sexual assault survivors is to support like financially or through volunteering some of the incredible, and I would say particularly women-led and um, and particularly maybe women of color led and often underfunded organizations that are that are doing the hard work. Like, I think that it's hard for us to conceptualize. It's certainly hard for me to conceptualize like what my specific actions can, um, how, how specific actions that I take can contribute to a larger movement. Um, but one thing I can do is, is really show up for the people and the organizations and the, the communities that are kind of on the front lines of this movement every single day. Um, so one just off the top of my head, there's um, an amazing DC-based organization called CAS, Collective Action for Safe Spaces, that's a queer and trans woman of color-led nonprofit working to address sexual harassment. Um, there's tons of local rape crisis centers. Um, 
and then and and then just one actually just because we're right now we're recording the podcast on um on Giving Tuesday, the um, mm-hmm. the Tuesday right after Thanksgiving, where nonprofits and organizations typically um, ask that as a like as a kind of a countering to um, the very corporate centered Black Friday that people donate their money to to different um, to different organizations and and um, and causes that they believe in. And so one thing just that I've been, as I think about Giving Tuesday and um, where I'm giving my money for Giving Tuesday, if you just go on to Twitter and look at the hashtag um, trans crowdfund, so trans as in transgender, mm-hmm. um, that's something that a close friend of mine told me about a while ago. And people often use that hashtag to highlight um, individual like GoFundMes, or individual crowd funders for our trans siblings and people who are not being supported through more organized structures like nonprofits, but people who are widely and disproportionately struggling struggling with things like housing issues and homelessness and health issues, which obviously they're far too often denied access to directly or indirectly, and who are disproportionately and statistically much, much, much at a much higher risk of sexual assault or sexual violence. Mm-hmm. So those are just a few of the things that uh, I think we can all do to kind of have a bit of a direct impact as we think about working to change this culture um, that where sexual assault and violence is so prevalent. Thank you so much for providing those resources. That's one of the big reasons that I wanted to have you on the podcast is, again, because I think you take a much more macro view and a much more social justice-focused view on these issues. I always kind of default to the individual level, and I think that that's that's part of why I became a coach, and I think that that's part of me being a coach is really looking at the individual level, but I always want to acknowledge the greater community society level as well on an issue like this. So I think that the way that you and I see it is like a Venn diagram, right? There's a lot of overlap, Mm -hmm. but then you also have a lens that I don't feel like I've had up until now. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, I mean, thank you. I think that the, I think that all of it together, like forms the conversation that needs to be had. So you and I have also had this really interesting side conversation off the mics about other people's discomfort with our things that are, let's say, traumas that we feel like we've kind of healed. And so whether that's sexual assault trauma or that's death of a parent, grief, anything like that, that we've both experienced circumstances where people, people's reactions are so strong that we just don't even bring it up anymore because we end up having to be consoling them. So what is your experience with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's I think that that's something that crosses everybody's mind in disclosing a trauma to someone new. And I think that that also kind of is speaks to the importance of everyone who considers themselves an ally. And I would say particularly cisgendered men in this to really kind of, again, go back to thinking about and maybe educating themselves about the do's and don'ts of reactions. And I think what you're touching on is a huge one, which is don't really make it about you. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't really make it about your level of comfort and um, don't make the person, I think it's kind of 
support 101 to not make the person disclosing a trauma do the comforting and make them turn into the support system. (laughs) The part that I get tripped up on is I don't want someone to fake or to feign a reaction like they're not affected by my, like, let's say that I am dating someone and I'm like, hey, by the way, I was sexually assaulted. I don't want someone to feel like they have to fake being fine with that or fake that that doesn't affect them, right? Yeah. Because it might. And I don't want to set up that relationship where now we're in a place where this person's pretending to be fine with it, but they're actually not, right? I want to open up the place for an open dialogue. But at the same time, I think it's a really important reminder that if somebody is comfortable enough with you to tell you something like this, then watch the way that you're responding. Absolutely. Watch the way that you're responding and know how much, and again, to varying degrees for varying people, but know how much courage and how much energy and effort it takes a lot of people to even bridge that topic of conversation. Um, So I think coming into it with just a blanket appreciation for every time that you talk about this, it's courageous and particularly to someone who, you know, you're, you, you, this a past sexual assault might come into play in future sexual relationship or just in a personal relationship with them. I think that that takes even more courage. So I would say coming at it with just compassion and appreciation for the vulnerability that it, it takes to be open about it. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if this is like a path worth going down on the podcast, but it's like that idea of somebody being like, like treating you with kid gloves. Yeah, uh, because it's so true. I don't want someone to treat me like that, but I also don't consider myself extremely affected still. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that also is like, is so case by case where like, if someone might have really, might have boundaries that they're not even aware of because of a previous sexual assault and they have to kind of learn that alongside a partner, or it could be something where you know, at the end of the day, anyone that you're in relationship with should be meeting you where you're at. You know, mm-hmm. it's wherever you are along your healing journey and supporting you in that. And again, kind of like we were talking about earlier, knowing that it could be nonlinear, knowing that mm-hmm. you could be, um, you you could be dealing with things. It, it could be relatively not affecting you, and something completely unexpected that has never triggered you before triggers you and mm-hmm. having compassion and understanding um coming into it all with just compassion understanding and appreciation for um how courageous it is to to be open about a past trauma i think is like the the place to start i find myself as you talk i find that and this is not this is not a criticism at all of the way you talk about it it's just interesting i just don't connect like when somebody says survivor like i don't it doesn't feel like it fits me and i don't know what that is i don't know if that's an arrogance or a um defense mechanism or anything like that but it just i'm like i don't know it just feels like it doesn't fit me or if i think about somebody like approaching me like a a partner 
like tiptoeing around me, that doesn't feel right. So it's, it's interesting to me to watch my own reaction to the words that are used when talking about trauma. Like even trauma is interesting to me. Like I don't even, I don't even really identify with the word trauma. And then that brings up a lot of guilt. (laughs) I'm like, why don't I? Yeah. And that's so interesting because I do think that there can be, um, I, I think that that's actually quite common as well. And I think that that really highlights that all of this stuff, like assault, intimate partner violence, um, different, I mean, obviously different forms of assault by stranger, by someone that you know, by, you know, childhood sexual assault. Assault is not a monolith. These things aren't a monolith and the reactions and the triggers are just really kind of impossible to compare. Um, Mm -hmm. And as you were talking, there's there's a a well-known feminist author and thought leader who wrote a book that was like largely about sexual assault. And I remember specifically, and she's someone who, um, who, who writes, you know, academically and, and also personally about feminism. And I remember she talked about how when a friend in her own words had like non-consensual sex with her, she still doesn't use the word rape for that non-consensual sexual experience, even though she knew if she talked to a friend about it, if a friend had disclosed that experience to her, she would of course feel like that qualified as rape. So I think that it's also something that, you know, we always, I think that we think a lot about the form that victim blaming takes. And I think at least for me, my go-to when I think of victim blaming when it comes to assault um, or self-victim blaming um, is internalizing shame and internalizing like the notion of it was my fault. But I also think that a lot of kind of reactions and things that we do and don't feel, even if it doesn't align with what the like classic self-victim blaming looks like, is kind of a, another form of thinking that there's this idea of a, a perfect victim and a perfect survivor, that there's one mold. And I, I do think that that's, I think that what you were saying is a great example of how it's this is all case by case. This is all like so individual and there's no normal. There's no normal reaction. There's no normal feelings. There's no normal path towards healing. Um, and, and you know, if there's, there's language that we use, but I don't think anyone should let like language that they read about dissuade them from owning their own experience. If language doesn't fit you, then like make sure that you're owning what you feel. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that to my clients, right? Is this helpful? Is this serving you? And if putting a label on it that doesn't fit isn't serving you, then I would advocate that that's probably not the label that you want to be using, even if it's technically true, right? I mean, technically, I suppose I'm a sexual assault survivor, but I would never walk around calling myself that just because for me, it doesn't fit. And that's not, to your point, that's not to say that for other people, it's not super empowering to them or super useful to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So one more topic that I would love for you to touch on really briefly because I think that you have an interesting perspective as someone who's lived abroad as well 
is that part of the guilt that I have or part of the feelings that I have about this episode is I feel like I'm betraying my beloved Guatemala. Um, And so because I was assaulted abroad, I, it's interesting. I don't normally talk about like my abroad sexual assaulter. I actually think at the beginning of this conversation, I said being sexually assaulted in Guatemala. And as soon as I said it, I was like, that was a weird way to phrase it. I don't normally phrase it like that. Um, But being sexually assaulted and it happened to be in Guatemala, what is your perspective on this whole international realm? I think that that's such a, it's, it's a really, um, interesting dynamic to talk about and to, I think, and an important one to acknowledge. Um, and, and like you were saying, I, I really relate to this. And as we're talking about, you know, if we're talking about sexual assault experiences in other countries, I think that it's very important to acknowledge the identities and the power dynamics that kind of we carry as, I mean, if we're talking about the two of us on this podcast as American white women, um, when we talk about the context and location of the, of, of assaults occurring, um, because I mean, at the end of the day, this is, I mean, sexual assault, sexual violence, gender-based violence, these are things that, happen all over the world. We sure as hell know that they happen all over the US. Um, And I think that at the end of the day, like you're doing and like you're speaking to, it's important to identify and speak to to your relationship. Uh, And I think that particularly like when I think about I've, I've spent some time living in different countries in the Middle East and, and you're talking specifically about Guatemala. And I think that it's important when we think about assaults that we may have experienced in these countries to think about the larger context that women who are local face and people, not just women, people of all, of, you know, all genders, um, face in the local context and knowing that, um, that the experience of an American woman, an American white woman, is not necessarily representative of, um, not necessarily representative uh, or, or not representative of a larger system at play. So what do we do with that? Oof, I mean. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> Big question. Uh, that's, I think that that's, that's like a really, a really good question. One thing that I feel particularly on my own personal journey of thinking more in depth about sexual assault and like systems that contribute to sexual assault of different people and some more statistically likely to, uh, to face it than others is to really, um, I guess, oh, sorry, along my journey, I feel like I've really come to the fact that I need to continue to educate myself and um, listen and center the experiences of those who are um, most marginalized and, and deal with the intersecting systems that make them most likely to be assaulted. 
So when I think about my role as um, an American, as traveling, traveling abroad, that is something that I think I, I really I really want to make sure that I don't kind of separate my own experience from that identity and that I really work to understand the, um, I really work to, to understand what, what, you know, life and challenges and, and everything looks like for, um, a local context. Yeah. I mean, I think it's clearly a very loaded question. And if it weren't, people probably wouldn't be dedicating their entire careers to answering it. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm just going to ask you to answer all of life's questions here on this podcast. <laughs> um, but in conclusion, as we wrap up, I'm just really curious when you think about the original conversation that I had with Stacey and then our conversation today, are there any pieces that you feel like are really missing besides, I think you've mentioned intersectionality and the, the cultural context and the cultural identity piece of, again, me being an American who was assaulted abroad in simple words. Is there any other piece that you feel like is really missing from this conversation that you think is important for us to talk about? I really think that you, in your conversation with Stacy, that you both in like, in your really beautiful honesty, um, I think that you guys really underscored the individual nature of every sexual assault experience and gave a, I mean, like really kind of like, this sounds so corny, Christina, sorry, but I (laughs) gave like all of your listeners a real gift in your honesty. Um, And I think that that's, something that is an honesty in the way that you're even that we're even having this conversation. Um, and at the end of the day, it's like, we're still on our gro- journeys of growth and, and yes. processing things. And also in learning, I mean, like, dear God, <laughs> we're still on our still on that, uh, that growth journey, hardcore. Um, <laughs> but I think that at the end of the day, like, honesty to your experience is such an incredible thing. And I, on kind of the flip side, an understanding of sexual assault and violence as a systemic problem, and really also, like you were just saying, understanding the intersections of things like race, gender, sexuality, gender expression, class, everything that come together and give different people such incredibly different experiences in this. So knowing that the conversation that you and Stacy had and the conversation that you and I are having are certainly within those contexts. Um, mm-hmm. And that there's, you know, there's a lot of it really, really, really um, incredible people out there who, like you, are sharing their own experiences and are doing the really hard work to make sure that everyone, and particularly people who are most marginalized um, don't have to endure this. Yeah, I mean, so much credit. Like this feels like a little drop in the bucket, but I do give so much credit to people who put their stories out there on major news channels, right, or in books. I'm like, that is fucking brave. <laughs> like speaking of brave, I'm like, that's the real bravery. And and again. Not to say that if you're not speaking up, you're not also brave. So I don't. I want to make sure that that message is a really big one. That's that you kind of carry away as as a listener. But it's not easy. Um, 
And so I guess my my call to action for anyone listening would just be, I think you said this early on, is like, just be an ally, right? And I think you don't need any official badge to be an ally. <laughs> just nope. be a person who's willing to listen um, and who's willing to remember that I think there's no right or wrong way for someone to tell you about their sexual assault, assault story. One thing that I was talking about actually with Stacy after the recording was uh, how I really rush through telling this story. And the reason that I do that is because I want to make sure on it, this was totally subconscious until we talked about it, but I want to make sure that I'm not telling it for shock value. Mm. I want to make sure that I'm telling it for the purpose, which is to, to spread awareness and not just to kind of freak people out or to um, give people that little bit of pleasure shock that people do get, right? Like we listen to My Favorite Murder. Like it's mm-hmm. interesting to hear dramatic stories. And so if somebody tells you a story that you feel like is not a great quote unquote story, remember that that's not a story. It's their experience. Ab- absolutely. I think that that is such an important reminder and I just to add on to what you were saying about allies, I think that this kind of goes without saying, but being an ally to anyone, um, to any people, any groups uh, is all about actions. It's not about that title. There's some uh, people who I'm sure certainly identify as allies who are not doing the daily work and the taking the actions um, necessary to be one. So an action oriented ally. And then also I think for survivors, um, of any, of any degree, anyone who identifies as a survivor or identifies as having an experience that qualifies as assault and wants to use any terminology that feels right to their experience. I mean, just doing the hard work of healing, whatever form that takes is very, very brave. Just doing that work. And if that looks like confiding in friends, if that looks like therapy, which if someone has access to, I think can be a really powerful tool. Um, If that means talking about it openly, if that means self-preservation where you don't talk about it openly because you're not in a safe space to. Um, The hard work of just everyday healing is something that people should be incredibly, incredibly proud of because that's tough. Thank you so much for rounding out the different perspectives from the first episode. This has been awesome. And I really, really do appreciate your perspective. So thank you for joining today. Thank you so much. And thank you for initiating this incredibly important conversation. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.